Hey guys, and welcome back to the Bark Side of the Moon podcast. In today's episode, myself and Anne discuss dog-on-dog play, that very misunderstood term socialization, and other related topics within that wheelhouse. We explain what socialization actually means as against what people think it means, as well as how to set your dog up for success when it comes to their social interactions. This one is much needed considering how many new doggies are out there right now, so we hope you find it helpful and enjoy. Welcome. Hello. <laughs> You're back. Back Good again. to have you back. Great to have you Thank back. Thank you. Thank you for Everything having me. Everything's okay? Good. Everything's good. You? Good stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. Uh, I'm, I'm in my happy place now. Oh, Talking lovely. About dogs. I love it. Yeah, exactly. So, That's yeah, let's it. Let's do it. Yeah. Like <laughs> <laughs> okay. So we, we mentioned in a previous episode that we were going to, to, we were going to visit this. So it's, I suppose there's more dogs than ever again, interacting with each other now. Oh, still, lead, off lead. still more dogs than ever. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. During free running hikes. Lots of different scenarios, but more worryingly, they are often being forced to interact with other dogs in confined spaces, such as dog parks, uh, maybe daycares, kennels, puppy classes, and other similar settings whereby the dog now has limited choice, if any choice at all, uh, and maybe negatively impacted physically, behaviorally, and emotionally on a regular basis. So you're seeing the fallout from this, I presume? Yeah. A ton, a ton. So almost all of the dogs that I work with on dog-dog related behaviours of concern and many of the dogs that I work with in relation to kind of human-directed behaviours of concern as well will Mm. often have, and I mean excessively often have, some sort of dog group stuff uh, in their history. Mm. Um, I see it a lot when I'm out as well with clients and their dogs, uh, with my dog. The majority of dogs that I see out and about you know would have difficulty passing another dog comfortably and um, they may you know there's a lot of them running directly up to other in- unfamiliar dogs and um, mm. lots of engaging kind of chasing type play which isn't always the healthiest you know mm. that we have this whole generation of dogs generations of dogs that are kind of just magnetized to other dogs and they kind of have poor engagement with their humans there might be other fallout from that then in relation to them you know being able to recover from being wound up difficulty settling so it's it's becoming a wider and wider thing there's lots of reasons for it um you know that like with leash laws and this kind mm. of um, we have to, we, we do very intense um, contrived social and environmental exposure with young dogs. And also we have to bear in mind that there's a kind of a culture, particularly facilitated by kind of social media about dogs being kind of hyper social, which they are relative to other canids um, mm. and should be loving everybody and loving everything. And this is all about playing and joy and all of this sort of stuff. Uh, and it's really, it, it is more complicated than that and probably not so rosy, <laughs> I think is what yeah. you're going to find from this. We're going to be a little bit more uh, cynical <laughs> about yeah. it after we talk about this, yeah. I think. <laughs> Yeah. So like many people talk about, you know, socialization and that's mm-hmm. been for years now and, and and of how important it is for the dogs. So let's start there. And, you know, it's great that more and more pet owners are aware of what, you know, kind of this idea of puppies needing early exposure. Um, and that's a really, really good thing. But along with that kind of popularity, um, 
the the term itself has kind of lost quite a bit of meaning. And so the first mm. thing to understand is that socialization describes quite a specific period of development for puppies. So when we talk about socialization in puppies, we're talking about stuff that happens in the brain and their what they're learning about, bet- usually between kind of three weeks and three months. So somewhere around there, you know, somewhere in the kind of first four months of life. So mm. it's a specific developmental period during which specific developmental processes go on in the brain. So they're learning about safe and unsafe interactions they're more open to developing healthy social relations uh, relationships with other dogs and with other species which is of course something that makes dogs particularly special in that they can form relationships with humans or cats or bunnies and all sorts of things um you know that and that that makes them obviously what makes them great pets um, they're learning about conflict resolution they're learning about appeasing and agonistic behavior during mm. this period and this is the time when this happens so socialization isn't really something that we talk about for dogs outside of that age range so when you're bringing your dog to a daycare or you're bringing your dog to a dog park unless your puppy is kind of under four months socialization isn't really what's happening so right. it's it's also not got to do with environmental exposure. That's a separate but related process called habituation. But the na- the clue is in the name, socialization. Mm-hmm. So it's social social development. But the common use of the word, the way that we would use social, so we would say, oh, you would go down the pub to socialize. That has crossed over and yeah. being applied to dogs. And that's sometimes where I think um, the uh, c- confusion comes from, is that mm-hmm. we're kind of inappropriately applying quite a specific term that means something quite specific to other situations. And then because of that, there are a lot of kind of unrealistic and inaccurate expectations about dogs and their social behavior. Um, and we kind of have a poor understanding in general about the process itself and the goals. And the goal of socialization for puppies is to produce social neutrality. Dogs mm-hmm. exist in the world and it's no big deal. And what I'll often say to puppy owners is that we want them to develop a whatever response. Oh, there's another dog, whatever. There's a person, whatever. There's a yeah. bus, whatever. Uh, because, you know, I'm so cool with all of these sorts of things that it's just no big deal to me. So we're socialized humans, um, myself and Graham. <laughs> and, uh, we can pass <laughs> other. Yeah, no, you, you are. Uh, we, I know you're in real life. You are. Uh, we, you know, we can pass other people without touching them or approaching Mm. them. And if we were to do those things unsolicited, it would be weird and uncomfortable Mm -hmm. and in some contexts even unlawful. Mm -hmm. But yet it's okay or deemed okay or he's just playing or he's just having fun or whatever um, when other dogs do it. Mm. So the process itself is actually poorly understood as well. Mm. so we want to be teaching young dogs that other dogs exist or other goings on exist and it's none of my business Mm. so that means that they don't need to meet or interact with other people or other dogs and really shouldn't Mm. and socialization and so i tend i tend not to use the word socialization as a result because it's so poorly understood so i tend to say social environmental exposure Mm -hmm. um and that doesn't mean contact type interaction it means exposure and for dogs that can be sniffing where the dogs are. That is social behavior. That is a social interaction for them because they use that as such an important part of their social interactions. So I'm not saying that they don't see other dogs, they don't Mm. play with other dogs, they don't see or meet other people. It's that we need to do it in a in an appropriate way so that we don't magnetize them to other dogs in the same way we don't magnetize kids to other children. We don't make it yeah. a big deal. Other children exist. We want mm. our kids to be able to pass another child or people without harassing them. Yeah. Um, and it's exactly the same process. But the difficulty is for children, this process happens over years. Mm. 
Yeah. But for puppies, this ha- this process happens over months. Mm. So we actually have to, to, to work much harder, much earlier um, in order to, 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 to work on that. And there's lots of difficulties there. Puppies are often kind of compulsive greeters. And also mm. the popularity of breeds that we have selected for kind of more of that hypersociality, soci- sociability, like, you know, a lot of the doodles and the cockapoos and the mm-hmm. goldens and all of these dogs where we've kind of selected for this, those dogs are, um, those pet owners will often find it harder to wrangle with this and harder to understand it. Um, and so they, those dogs actually need extra help um, mm-hmm. so that they're not uh, developing inappropriate social behavior, they're not getting themselves into trouble. And really, what's really important is that they're not harassing other people and other dogs. And that's incredibly important in terms of responsible dog ownership and the tolerance with which society has for dogs. Um, you know, we lose access to a lot of spaces because this stuff happens, you know. Yeah, yeah. And... <laughs> I know the answer to this. Mm-hmm. Is it a good idea to have multiple dogs play together regularly then? Is <laughs> okay. there a difference if the dog is like familiar with the other dogs or not? Or does that even play into it? So I suppose bigger picture, it depends on the individual dogs. Mm. All right. Um, for the most part, large groups of dogs are probably not terribly beneficial for most dogs. Dogs tend to have one to one interactions. So each mm. social relationship happens within that one dyad. So in that one pair. Um, and they have those individual relationships and those that relationship that dog A has with dog B isn't affected by the relationship that either of those dogs have with dog C, for example. So yeah. they don't have the complex political systems, I suppose, that develop in primates, for example. Okay. It's a much simpler one-on-one system. Hmm. So um, with when you have more and more of those relationships to kind of have to be aware of and grapple with. That's really where we start to see higher levels of arousal or stress. That's really what we're talking about here, because that's what higher levels of of that sort of arousal does. It engages the stress systems and allows the dog to hone their focus and concentrate on these more and more kind of complex social interactions. Mm. So, you know, that's what's contributing to, um, to the difficulty with some of these environments. So, I would say that do dogs need to play in in large groups of dogs? I would say no. Mm. Almost blanket across the board, right? Bearing in Mm. mind that, you know, we're talking about biology and there's more exceptions to every rule. Um, But Mm. I would say that is it beneficial? Well, that probably depends on the individual dog. And oftentimes when people think it's beneficial, it's because the dog is displaying behavior that's been misinterpreted, I would yeah. say, a lot of the time. And um, it's believed then that the dog is excited or enjoying it when mm. we often misinterpret canine excitement mm-hmm. um, as being joy. And it might not be that. Yeah, that's what I would and say. It, it could be often a fun, relaxing time for the humans to get together. And, well, yeah, you know, and and. That's why maybe they defend it, you know, but it's uh-huh. it, it's more for them than the dogs in some yeah. cases. Yeah. And like, you know, I absolutely understand this. People hmm. love watching dogs play. I yeah. love watching dogs play. Like yeah. it's an absolute joy. Yeah. Um, but I hate watching dogs play in most of the public dog parks. I hate when I see videos oh. of like daycare or dog group environments online because mm. I can't remember the last time I was actually going, wow, this is a really appropriate match and everybody's mm. doing really well. Yeah. And there's so much appropriate play behavior I'm seeing here because I just don't see that often. No, well, um, it would be nearly impossible 
It's really difficult to do. How can you manage when there's more than a couple of dogs? Yeah, it's really difficult. And I think there definitely is a distinction distinction between unfamiliar and familiar dogs. Mm -hmm. So playing with less familiar dogs, so a dog that your dog doesn't know that well and forming kind of casual relationships where like you're just hanging out with um, a dog that you just met randomly in a park or whatever. That's not really a dog thing. That's not really normal for canids. Mm. Um, and it, that makes complete sense and it's you know one of the things that we've kind of done with a lot of types of dogs but not all of the types of dogs we have to remember that we've spent many many tens of thousands of years making dogs like people more than other dogs I mean that's mm-hmm. been the whole point of domestication is that we have this mm-hmm. animal that wants to develop a relationship with us over everything else and um, it's completely normal for dogs to not really like kind of making new friends and for those tendencies to decrease with age that's absolutely normal dogs Mm. that retain that kind of social butterfly type thing they're the weirdos those dogs are definitely not um you know what we'd expect from normal um canid behavior Mm. and so i would say that that's something that's possibly not needed uh for dogs it's not a behavioral need i don't think it's necessarily um contributing to improved standards of welfare and the thing to understand about play is or even social interactions is play is like a dance each dog in that dance agrees to a set of rules and that's really important for play because dog dog play involves a lot of using really dangerous behavior such as predatory behavior and aggressive Mm. responses but using those in less serious contexts so play that's appropriate actually helps those dogs to uh, you know improve conflict resolution and to improve their ability to use those behaviors and practice those behaviors and hone them so they're actually better at using them so they don't need to kind of aggress to other individuals but Mm. when dogs don't know one another so they just casually meet in a dog park or they casually meet in a daycare or whatever in a group they don't know how well their playmate will understand those rules so we tend to see different types of play Mm. we tend to see a lot of chasing play because mm. we don't we don't want to do bitey face play which people think is the bad type of play and actually yeah. for most dogs that's actually the healthy play that we've kind of contact kind of bitey face play maybe mm. a little run around and then back to bitey face play with lots mm. of invitations and consenting behaviors in there mm. um and that's actually the good stuff but when we see unfamiliar dogs play and like if you go to a public dog park in a county council park anywhere certainly in dublin and surrounds you'll see dogs chasing after each other like bonkers and that play is generally in indicative of less comfort with one another like they're literally running away from one another yeah um like you know um and this of course adds to increasing arousal because it's increasing exertion so the body has to prepare for that and so Mm -hmm. we will see you know, also the inclusion of kind of other interactions that are less ideal. So like a lot of vertical play. So our dogs are behind the legs, a lot of slamming or checking kind of behavior where they're using Mm -hmm. their body pair with one another. Mm -hmm. And so not only does that increased arousal kind of hone their focus, it also causes their inhibitions to lower so when they're practicing aggressive behavior they're less well able to inhibit the force of their bite or the you know the the physicality with which they interact so dogs are practicing that first of all so they're not getting the benefits of play uh, where they're practicing nice you know conflict resolution type activities Mm. um so they're they're practicing that um and but also they get hurt all the time um Mm. and uh, and sometimes get killed like really really seriously injured and killed um Mm. So it makes this much riskier. Yeah. God. 
I sound and very down on play. Like it's no, no, absolutely no. possible to do this right. No, but, but I'm just thinking yeah. as well, like, you know, add in then in, say, for example, a dog park and everybody's seen this as somebody comes in with a ball thrower or somebody mm-hmm. comes in with pockets full of treats yeah. and starts throwing them around the place. And I mean, there's just so many layers being added there. Oh, and listen. again, it's the yeah. same as the, the group free runs, even if you're doing it in twos, threes and fours or whatever. If you come into a dog park, it's a social thing for the humans as well. Yeah. And nobody's really monitoring or managing mm-hmm. yeah. how they're interacting until there's a problem or yeah. a, a perceived problem. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, mm-hmm. I agree. Um, and definitely. And while that's absolutely fine, you know, but I think there's there's definitely a kind of um there's an appeal to it as well because it exhausts dogs and it exhausts dogs yeah. because their dog it is so challenging for those dogs yeah. and they're physically and mentally drained after it, not necessarily in a good way. No. Um, but that is definitely beneficial to people as well and has changed dog culture. So people will get dogs that they're incapable of exercising in a, more, in a healthier and more traditional way because of time or resources or whatever, but kind of take a shortcut with this and it's, it's absolutely having negative implications on these dogs um, over the longer term, particularly adolescent dogs. Yeah, absolutely. And so <laughs> let's go into listing the problems that no, are caused. By... <laughs> We're already there. <laughs> so, yeah, like this, obviously a long, long list, but just let's touch on some of them. That So problems that may be caused by encouraging these kind of high octane interactions right. with other dogs, yeah. um, physically and mentally, for example. So that's what they associate with other dogs. The expectation is, is that they're going to experience a surge of stress chemicals that they need in order to wrangle with these interactions. And when they see other dogs or when they go to places where they associate that they associate with this, these sorts of interactions, their body is preparing them to face challenge. And that doesn't sound like something that we really want to be doing, you know, that their mm. body, we're preparing them to face battle, you know, and mm. we're build, winding them up so that they're going to be ready for this. And that makes it, you know, we start to go, well, okay, well, maybe this isn't a great thing. And of course, that's exactly what happens there. That this is exactly what goes on. Those interactions are really challenging and exerting and these dogs are going to experience that. So then you can imagine then what this dog uh, thinks about or experiences when they see another dog on lead, for example. So there's like a frustration element to it. But also think about how seeing other dogs make them feel. They experience Mm. the surge. Their body tells them, okay, you have to prepare for this because it's going to be so challenging. Mm. So you can imagine then that, okay, while it's arousing and brings everything up, that doesn't Mm. necessarily mean that it's pleasant or healthy. Um, So the more practice that dogs have of that, the harder it is for them to come down from those highs and their baseline for excitement is rising all the time. They're going to find mm. it harder to recover from being wound up. And we've talked about adolescent dogs before, and we know that that's a problem they have anyway. We don't have to add yeah. anything to that. Yeah. That's happening anyway. So mm. if this becomes this kind of high octane, highly exerting um, physical uh, activities and interactions with other dogs, um, you know, that's what these dogs are consistently rehearsing. They're consistently mm. rehearsing, feeling that way, but also ignoring their people, going crazy with other dogs. That kind of level of exertion can become addictive. And we talk about this in people. We talk about adrenaline junkies, people who like run marathons and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And that's because when the body is under this sort of level of pressure and exertion, it produces chemicals, endorphins that you've probably mm. heard of, um, to, to help protect the body. I mean, that's how de- like risky this can be. Mm. And the effects of those endorphins can be addictive. So mm. we see these dogs trying to put themselves into situations where they hit those highs. So they might be running up to other dogs and um, they're you know body slamming having really kind of um 
strongly kind of physical interactions Mm. and you know they see all dogs are for playing and i use the term playing very very loosely because i don't think this is play Mm. um so what i encourage pet owners to do is you know always ask what emotions associations memories is my dog forming Um, Mm. because that's the behavior you're you can expect then in the future yeah Um and will escalate you know, and get worse over time it can do yeah, yeah absolutely and like it's normal for dogs young dogs and puppies to have really intense social interest okay that's mm-hmm. normal and it's quite normal for puppies particularly to have quite wide social circles and the thing is is that up till about six months other dogs are generally quite accepting of puppies and puppy behavior and mm. from as they come into adolescence older dogs should be starting to give them a little bit of guidance and tell them, no, that's not actually acceptable and we're not going to tolerate that. Mm. And so adolescent dogs actually do need that. So if they're just Mm. playing with other puppies or other adolescents, it's just the blind leading the blind. They're not actually Mm. getting the guidance that they need. And indeed, it can be very, very difficult to find dogs that have the social skills to appropriately guide adolescent dogs in terms of their social behaviour because everybody is super wound up about interactions with other dogs. Mm. So dogs that run up to other dogs get super excited by the presence or sight of other dogs can't pass other dogs these dogs aren't socialized socialization Mm. as we've talked about before produces social neutrality other Mm. dogs are no big deal there you are Mm. there's another dog whatever i've seen the dog before and that behavior is not necessarily friendly friendly dogs and dogs that are cool with other dogs can see other dogs and go there you are there's a dog i don't think you know you're going to be this massively exciting thing or i'm not totally conflicted about how this interaction is going to go because you're just Mm. another dog so they don't need to run over and try and gather information about them they don't think that they're a monster so it's we, we need to change the culture of mm. what actually this behavior means. Super excited behavior does not mean happiness. Um, mm. And I, I spend a lot of time talking to people about this um, because as you can tell, I get a little bit wound up about it. Well, yeah, because <laughs> Just a little bit. for example, we were talking earlier about um, reactive dogs and, and this is sure. something you see more of when dogs are exposed to things like yeah. dog parks in particular, daycares, maybe, mm-hmm. you know, group play, all that kind of stuff, because it's distance increasing and and they see another dog. And just as I said, they, they think they see a dog, I've got to get ready almost for, for, for battle and yeah. they become more and more and more reactive as time goes uh, by. So it's no wonder you, you get obviously <laughs> about it because <laughs> these people are end up, they go with obviously the best of intentions to dog parks based on what people are recommending mm-hmm. they do with their puppy or a daycare or, or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And over time, usually those dogs end up n- not being able to take part in those interactions any further at a certain stage in a dog park or a daycare. And then they're not allowed in anymore. And then they end up with people like yourself to try and fix yeah. what's being so, created so by those we, things. We've, we've lost um, th- these dogs' abilities to develop skills for the regular world because mm. there has been an overemphasis on exercising them in this way. And then when that isn't maybe available as much for whatever reason, it becomes really, really difficult to have that dog in the world and for that dog to cope in the world. Mm. may even present safety concerns. It certainly presents health and welfare concerns for the dog. Um and then they come to see me and we have a whole load of work to do. Um, and uh, it, it's it's really difficult to overcome. Really difficult mm. to overcome, I would say. Yeah, of course. Okay. So what would be a better way to <laughs> give your dog some fun time <laughs> and, uh, and some enrichment outside the home other than these kind of 
high octane interactions with other okay. dogs. Okay, so I don't want to talk down on this all the time because there mm. is absolutely ways that you can facilitate your dog having really nice interactions with other dogs if that's something that they like. And we have to remember that it is normal for dogs and their social circles to get smaller uh, and to decrease uh, numbers as they age. That's completely normal. So if that happens to your dog when they hit a year and a half, two years of age, there's nothing wrong with your dog. It's completely normal. Um, just like it is for people. During adolescence uh, and when we're children, we are far more interested in social interactions. And as we age through our 20s, 30s, 40s and on, mm-hmm. um, those social circles become smaller. And that's mm-hmm. completely normal. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't want you to think that you can't let your puppy or your young dog or even your adult dog play with other dogs. That's not what, we're, that's not what I'm no. saying anyway. Um, but what I would love people to do uh, as part of their young dog's experience, social experience, is to nurture the development of friendships. So think about dogs that they can meet regularly with, mm. uh, familiar dogs that they can develop relationships with, that they can learn from. Also, think about model dogs. So I love mm. the use of model dogs for puppies and young dogs. So uh, it's not just what your puppy learns, but it's who they learn from that's important mm-hmm. as well. And your puppy just going on a walk with a dog that kind of ignores them uh, is yeah. really, really important for them. And it's a really cool way for them to learn about being a dog. And they just follow this adult dog and they sniff the things and they just go about the world. Mm. And that that model dog, particularly if they're kind of cool in the environment, that often becomes a really important social model for puppies and they learn how to react and respond to things that are going along. Um, and, you know, so de- uh, facilitating your puppy or your young dog, developing friendships with familiar buddies that they can kind of ha- develop stable play reaction uh, interactions with they can kind of just hang out with one another so it's much easier for us and for the dogs themselves to play and develop healthy play skills and develop interactions that can be shaped um, and it also means that we're not magnetizing them to every other dog because their expectation isn't that they get to interact and play or run mm. up to or have you know massively addictive arousing interactions with other dogs so we often think that kind of that sort of play that we see in our head that we think is dog dog play we that's often kind of suggested as being the benchmark for success or comfort and it's Mm. not necessarily really what i want to see is i want to see two dogs that can kind of just go about their business and in the presence of one another we have to remember that a lot of the play-like behaviors that we see in dogs during these kind of in you know interactions are actually we're misinterpreting them as being true play. We're thinking Mm -hmm. that this is all about fun and happiness. But actually what we're seeing is we're seeing the early kind of stages of stress, the kind of flirt stage. Mm. Um, And we commonly misinterpret dog behaviours and excitement as happiness when it might not be the case at all. So Mm. for your dog being able to hang out with another dog and it's just no big deal and it's not this kind of deliberately ignoring one another, but it's like, oh yeah, there's that fella and I'm totally comforted in yeah, I'm just totally confident in his presence that I don't need to be watching him all the time. I don't need to be interacting all the time. I don't need to be on him all the time. That's actually a better marker for success and comfort. So, you know, that's the way that we go about it. And I don't ever say no play or you can't hang out with other dogs or anything like that. We're just going to do it in a different way. Mm. This, you know, kind of thing of group stuff, particularly in places where you're not in control of what other dogs your dog meets, uh, is is much safer, you know, to do this an alternative way. But also remember that we want to prioritize engagement with humans. So mm-hmm. and that means that 
humans have to engage with their dog. Mm -hmm. So we want to be part of their environmental interactions, be part of the fun. Um, A friend of mine who is a great trainer in the UK, she's Irish, but she's a trainer in the UK, she's called Sue. She says something along the lines of like, don't be a witness to your dog's fun, be a participant. And now, don't Mm. quote me on that because I could have, you know, messed that up (laughs) and (laughs) I will be in trouble. (laughs) That's a great Uh, message though. Yeah, Mm. no, this isn't going out into the UK. Is it in the issues in Newcastle? It's going going to go everywhere. (laughs) Oh no. Uh, But sorry, Sue. Um, (laughs) But um, she often has that in a lot of like her puppy stuff. And I think that's a really great, great way to think about it. And we do, um, uh, here <laughs> I do uh, a class that we call adventure class and mm. adventure class is that kind of idea is that we participate in our dog's um, interest in the environment and make it about what's interesting in the environment and we enjoy it through them so we don't necessarily have to like you know sniffing poo or stuff like that we don't have to do yeah. that sometimes like to do hey, look, but yeah no judgment I'll, I'll do whatever I'll do whatever it takes <laughs> <laughs> to keep dogs happy um, <laughs> so um, you know we do that that's a really important part of like what I want to do with pet owners is help them enjoy their world through their dog. And we even have like one, I know it's just one piece of work from Merkham and uh, Wynne that show that kind of an attentive human can facilitate more and better play behavior between dogs. Mm. So just the person being attentive. Now we still need more work to understand kind of the mechanisms of this and all the rest of it, but it's really nice work and evidence for the benefit of human participation, even if we're kind of on the sidelines, but just that kind of human, uh, that those kind of participants, that, that kind of participation and they're really cool researchers and the, the research is really nice and well, obviously I can provide you with all the links to all the stuff that I talked yeah, to um, but that's a really a really nice piece of work that is very exciting it's very recent so there's it's ongoing but it's a really okay. nice one that awesome. kind of audience effect and it's crossing a species barrier like with humans interacting so that that there's further evidence there you know that's a bit less anecdotal than mine that participating yeah. uh, in the dog's uh, fun is really important for the from the people point of view as well so when i'm not saying no play and no fun and no dog dog interactions that's not what i'm saying but if your idea of dog dog interactions or, or so-called socialization is defined by uh these sorts of high octane interactions mm. i think there's a misinterpretation there a misunderstanding yeah 100 yeah. percent. Mm. okay so so let's talk a little bit about daycare setups and maybe kind of boarding kennels and again how these scenarios may impact on dogs so similar ways really mm. you know Anya has been involved in all sorts of versions of this from like the first large commercial daycare uh, mm-hmm. here um, and huge like with like 50 dogs mm. uh, right through to kind of various uh, versions of that with kind of smaller play groups and higher human to dog ratios mm. ending with my play dates play groups uh, in the before times <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, where we would have a uh, ratio of minimum one person to five dogs but it was usually one to three so mm-hmm. um we would have really small groups so there might be maximum six dogs in the space at a time um it's obviously that's obviously the best scenario mm. um but to be perfectly honest with you when it comes to dog business it's very difficult to make money like that mm. so you know that becomes a real problem then because if you run a daycare 
it costs you the same to run whether you have one dog there or whether you have 50 dogs there mm. and you have to pay rent and you have to pay staff and you have to pay all the things. Yeah. So, I mean, from a business point of view, it can actually be very, very difficult to do mm. this. And that means that when we have those sort of play dates type idea, people were paying more for shorter periods of time. Um, and, 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 you know, and that's what basically has to happen in mm. order to fund that. So like, we have to be realistic about this, that we're talking about people's livelihoods. Um, yeah. So we have to think about, what's the best way of doing that and obviously the smaller group with um the highest ratio of of, of people to dogs is obviously the best and um, because those sorts of kind of setups are most beneficial because you've really close supervision and shaping your play and you can go to the annie ed youtube channel and you can search for play dates or similar things like that and you'll see the sort of uh work that we were able to do with those dogs a lot of structured activities it wasn't just about dog dog play so they did a whole lot of other stuff dog dog play would actually form quite a small proportion of what they would do uh they would also have like separate rest times and that's actually really really important lots of places will emphasize kind of cage free or crate free type of ideas mm. and in my opinion and in my experience that's not necessarily more helpful others mileage may differ and that's absolutely fine i'm not mm. arguing with anybody else but you know to my mind dogs need to have time and a break away from mm. having to negotiate complex social interactions all the time so that mm. means that they have a bed or they might share a bed with the a bonded individual and bonded is quite a specific thing so it's not just mm. typified by them playing together no. so that they actually have the opportunity to have a visual barrier from other dogs they have their own space that they can switch off they can feel safe and they can truly rest mm. and just them you know not playing or just them sleeping in large groups in in these sorts of facilities i don't know that that's always terribly beneficial for them and the number one thing that pet owners will say is that when they get their dogs home their dogs are exhausted they don't see them yeah, the of course of course and that has become a part of that kind of culture. Mm. So the goals uh, for dogs, you know, participating in these sorts of activities and any activity really is not just physical exhaustion, it's behavioral wellness. Mm. So, you know, services that just provide or facilitate this kind of high octane play running around all the time may not be supporting that, particularly in adolescent dogs for mm. lots of reasons that we've you know, discussed previously. Mm. Um, and the thing is, is that these are the owners that are often looking for that exhaustion so that they can have a break from because their dog mm. is you know is hard work uh, but long term that might just be causing harder work for you i suppose you know so we, we do have to be really really careful with this and really really mm. responsible about shaping the sort of culture uh for pet owners to make sure that their dogs are benefiting from these sorts of interactions it is possible to do it's just really difficult <laughs> yeah so and like i said i've been there we've done it we've tried all of these different things if i was doing it again it would definitely be more that play dates type of structure it might be mm. slightly different in some ways um but i would not be going back to larger groups than that no I remember you telling me that years ago. Yeah, because mm -hmm. a lot of people on the outside were like, what are you doing? Yeah, yeah. this is very successful. <laughs> yeah, like, makes those exactly money. why I'm stopping. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, you know, it's a really hard work, too, for the people. Mm. Like that's, It's really, really hard work, you know, mm. mentally, physically, just the noise, all of those things. It's really, really hard work. Yeah, it's really stressful for mm -hmm. everybody involved, yeah. you know. Yeah, and absolutely. I guess, I don't know, this this is a difficult, more difficult one to answer, but what other options should people explore if the dog's not coping in these settings? Well, if they're not coping in those settings, we want to know why. Mm. So there's some sort of behavioural fallout there that we that we probably have to deal with. And again, I'm not suggesting that there's no dog play ever. It's just that we can do it better. So mm. it possibly might mean that we have to structure specific play dates with a particular friend, you know, dog, a dog friend, <laughs> um, <laughs> or, you know, smaller groups or one or two dogs, higher people ratios, more structured 
structured activities, those sorts of things. But, you know, if you hand your dog over to somebody, there's no guarantee that that's actually happening. Um, And again, no regulation within our industry, no real kind of best practice established. So it can be really difficult for pet owners to kind of navigate that. Mm. Yeah. Really hard. Yeah. Okay. Well, so... (laughs) I feel this is a, a far more depressing one than we've done before. No, like it's, again, it's really, really important because people are, are all, businesses included, a lot, a mm-hmm. lot of them are trying to do what they think is best, you mm-hmm. know, of course. for the, for yeah, the dogs, you know. So I suppose before, they're, they're, like we touched on it earlier, that some dogs get to the stage, maybe say in daycares or boarding kennels and, and facilities like this, where they're no longer allowed to participate in them because mm-hmm. they're causing problems for other dogs on a daily basis. So mm-hmm. I suppose before your dog gets to that stage or if you're thinking about ending them into daycare, that, that's when really you should be asking for help and advice from the likes of yourself. You sure. know, what should I do, be doing here? Because, yeah, yeah, it's it's funny. There's a lot of similarities with kids as well. Because, yeah. you know, people think they're doing the right thing by having them in this course and this class and bringing mm-hmm. them here and everywhere. And they're wrecked sure. at the end of the day. And they think that's that's a good thing, you yeah. know, but they also need to just be kids and have space. And it's mm-hmm. exactly the same with the dogs. So when should <laughs> the burning question, when should yes. owners ask for help? And of course, because it's not a simple answer, because it's, no. it's difference and varies from dog to dog and situation to situation. It's really difficult. I think one of the things that, you know, we can help pet owners do is recognize appropriate play, mm. recognize appropriate environments. If your dog doesn't work out in an environment like that, like a group environment that's kind of high octane, there's probably nothing wrong with your dog. Mm. I would say that, you know, that's okay. And yeah. uh, let's get your dog out there. Let's get other activities in place to make sure that their needs are met. Mm. And it might not involve dog-dog play or it might not involve predominantly dog-dog play, for example. Mm. Um, we want to make sure that we can help puppies develop appropriate social skills without too much craziness and that requires a ton of supervision and pet owners need help with that Mm. and we want to help pet owners safely supervise uh play with their dogs buddies uh, Mm. as well so you know really it's about education education for pet owners there in terms of helping them recognize what's appropriate and what's not and how the context shift and things like that and sometimes realizing that you know what this isn't a good match maybe these two dogs don't match well together Um, and like that's okay we have this sort of unrealistic expectation that dogs are just going to be friends for all and you know it's not an expectation we would have of anybody um but poor dogs suffer with that and it's completely normal uh for dogs not to like everybody (laughs) yeah it's not an unreasonable request (laughs) again bring it back to me i'm like i'm not a big fan of a lot of humans of everybody And we wouldn't expect you to be. I could just only imagine, like, and I see people trying to do their best and they're walking their new puppy and they're marching Mm -hmm. them up to every single dog that's around. And the other dog is like, I don't want anything to do with this. This It's a really annoying looking puppy coming into my face. And the puppy's like, I'm not really sure what to do with you. And the the owners are interacting and not watching the dogs. And it's, it's, oh, yeah, it's, 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 it can be uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, you know, so yeah, we're setting we're setting everybody up for for you know uh, failure then. Uh, yeah, so there's a lot of re-education because we have to change this culture that's developed. That's a tough one. Yeah, yeah. it's really hard. Mm. Okay. Well, as always, Anne, thank you so much. Really <laughs> such informative. a cheery end. <laughs> yeah. No, look, <laughs> I mean, it's it's again, it's it's information we want to get out to people because sure. we know people that are going to be listening to this want the best for the dogs. And we're trying to give them the best information 
that we know and um, so that they can make better decisions for them that's that's really it you know so that's yeah, that's what we've done today so yeah, I think job done. Great. Uh, and Yay. we can always revisit <laughs> we can always revisit specifics yeah, if people want to know more yeah, of course you know, and you, of course you and um the annie ed website is is there for people to contact mm-hmm. whenever they yeah, they, they feel they need help okay absolutely Definitely. awesome anytime Brilliant. thank you so so Thanks much again me. Not at all, anytime. <laughs> all right. Talk to you again soon. soon. Look Bye. after yourself. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Thanks again so much for listening today, guys. And I do hope you found the information helpful. Thanks so much again for all of the positive feedback and suggestions. They really do mean a lot, so keep them coming. We'll be back very soon with more requested topics to unpack and discuss, so stay tuned for those. If you enjoyed the show, as always, remember to please subscribe to the podcast, leave a rating and review and recommend it to all your friends and family to help us reach and help more people and dogs. Also, please give us a follow on Twitter at BarksidePod and also on Instagram at BarksidePod to help grow our online community. As always, if there are topics you would like us to cover here in future episodes, please share those with us on social media or simply mail us at BarksidePod at gmail.com and we'll do our best to cover those as soon as possible. Look after yourselves and your doggies. Thanks again for joining us and we look forward to seeing you back here again real, real soon.